You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Robbins. I finished up of Knives and Nightblooms last week. Thank you all so much uh, for commenting and uh, I've had such lovely feedback about the end of this story, which kind of took over my life this year. I was not expecting it to be a novel. Um, and yeah, it's been really lovely to have uh, all the, the nice feedback. Um, this is not a new serial. I'll be starting a new serial in January. Uh, I wanted to do an Ask Tansy episode. Now, I only have received a few very small handful of questions, uh, which should mean we can keep this under half an hour. Let's see if I'm capable of that, shall we? Uh, I do have uh, food shopping to do and cookies to bake because it is the day before Christmas Eve. And for once, it's a weekend, so I actually get... uh, get some time to build up and get ready for Christmas a little bit, which is nice because this is the time of year when I go into what I call the gingerbread zone, when I suddenly start wanting to do all these domestic things, which I can't be bothered with all year round. So yeah, I've, I've got that to do. All right, let's get started. Now, Kitty, who had been waiting around uh, for this episode, uh, was very keen to ask me some questions, uh, provided two. I'm going to read the second one first because it kind of boggles my mind. These are both about the River Divine and of Knives and Nightblooms. I will endeavour not to spoil it. I know that you who are listening probably have listened to it. I'm still going to try not to spoil it. So there we go. So Kitty asks... Did any of the inspiration for the 13th treasure come from Menepta, the 13th son of Ramesses the Great, who came to power after Ramesses II because his 12 older brothers had died? No, I've never heard of this. (laughs) Which kind of boggles my mind because clearly that's what it's based on, right? I don't know. You know, this is why authors don't like it when you ask them where they get their ideas from. I don't know how this wormed its way into my main. I actually don't know that much about Egyptian history at all. I definitely listened to a podcast about one of the Ramseses within the last two years. I don't know. I must have picked it up somewhere. It could be that I picked up a reference to a reference and it boiled around in my head. Um... I think when I was coming up with character names, just quite early on, it was several years ago, uh, I came up with the idea of the 13th treasure and from there why he was called the 13th treasure uh, and what had happened to the other 12 sort of started to spiral outwards. But yeah, I had no idea. But let's pretend this is deliberate because it makes me look terribly smart. So... Yeah, in future, if people ask me, I'll be like, yes, of course, this is a reference to that historical thing that I knew a lot about because I have a doctorate, you know. Okay, so Kitty's other question was about, also about the River Divine, uh, was about which came first, the plot 
or the river locations. Now, I think anybody who knows anything about me and how I work is not going to assume that I started with a plot. Um, yeah, so my favourite way of plotting and the way that I have found most effective for getting a book written is to create a shape of a story without actually thinking too hard about the story and follow the shape. So the first time I did this was back in 98 when I was writing the, uh, the first draft of Liquid Gold, my second published novel and my first ever commissioned by a publisher before I wrote it novel, uh, which is a hell of a thing to do to somebody who's 20 years old. What I did with Liquid Gold was I wrote a list of chapter headings and then I just used that as the structure for the book and it amazingly worked. And I've used that technique often in in future. Like usually I have a sense for where the story's going. I have a sense of what I put into what I put in the book. Chapter headings are a great way for me to nail it down without nailing it down and let me know when I'm coming close to the end and I'm gonna start pulling all the threads together. So for of knives and night plumes, obviously <laughs> obviously. Okay, I stopped recording at that point because I want to have a quick look on my desk for my map of the Mint River Divine, which is printed on a beautiful little card. And I can't find it, which is very odd because it was right here, like yesterday. Don't know where it's gone. Anyway, so what I decided to do with uh, the River Divine was to, yeah, to come up with the the place names and name every chapter after a place name. Now, I ran into a problem right from the start because there's quite a bit of story up front before they really start travelling. I'm like, is this going to be a 5,000-word chapter or am I going to already start breaking my place name rule by, like, having one chapter in a cabin and another chapter on a boat and those both count as place names. But anyway, once I got over that initial issue... I drew the map. Um, I started out just drawing it in pencil and things like that, but then I had the idea of inking it up and printing it out to look really pretty to be one of my random act of post gifts, which I send out to my higher-end patrons. Everyone from $5 a month upwards gets the occasional parcel of weird little goodies, which are mostly connected to my my work one way or another, some of my artwork, but mostly things connected to my writing. And so, yeah, I some of the place names I always knew were going to be part of the story. So I knew we were going towards Phoenix Burning. There were a few other, a few other little place names I had in mind. But when I started writing this story, which had been sitting there for years waiting for me to pay attention to it, I didn't really know much about what was going to happen on this journey after the Temple of Many Knives. So I knew about the market, I knew about the Temple of Many Knives, and I'm like, and then they have a journey and things happen, and I knew how it ended. Uh, and I'm going to be very gentle about this so as not to spoil it, but I knew that this story was only about the river journey, so it had to end at the city, and it had to end with Calix and Icarus making their choices. Uh, about 
what to do about the fact that she has magically put a magic compulsion on these on these assassins and how they both feel about it and are they going to kill her and or ditch her if she takes the magic off and all that sort of thing. I knew that was the story. And I knew there were going to be other stories about what happens next, but that wasn't part of this story. So I had an ending. But really all I knew about in between is they're going to sail down a river, there's going to be weird magic stuff, and I guess there's going to be character development. Which, to be fair, is, describes a lot of my books. So I drew a map and I came up with lots of cool place names uh, that I had in mind. And I tried to get a sense for how rivers work and what sort of things you might find. Most of my ideas about boats and... Yeah, no, any kind of boat comes from a childhood obsessively reading Arthur Ransom novels. Now, you probably can't get that much further from the gentle English Arthur Ransom children's novels in which the most dangerous thing that happens is that somebody's going to steal eggs uh, and compare that to what I wrote but that is where my knowledge of boats comes from and I love a road trip story so this is what there was it was supposed to be it's all internal it doesn't really need a a plot it's going to have the place name so having written the place names down inked them and made a map I knew what was going to happen along the way now I did have more place names there then I wanted to have chapters, but that was fine. Some of them would double up, uh, as we see in some of the chapters. And I didn't, it wasn't like I needed to put all the cool place names in the story. <laughs> and as it turned out, I got to break my rules a few times here and there too, with chapters that aren't quite in places, uh, or where they stay in certain places for a bit longer. And one thing led to another, and it was not, look, once I get past about 15 to 18 chapters it's not a novella anymore 10 to 13 is my sweet spot for a novella length and this one made it to 20 and then it made it past 20 I was like oh I really wanted it to be a round number that's what we're working with here I wanted to have a round number of chapters and then the number kept creeping up and yeah in the end 30 chapters it is a novel I'm very proud of it I'm excited with how it turned out some of those places I didn't have anything in mind for them other than a cool name and yeah I I really like how it worked I have no idea how I'm going to structure the second book because the second book's going to be set in the palace and it's be like what is it the the first chapter is the receiving room and the second chapter is the the peacock bedroom. I don't know what I'm going to do. That is a second half of 2024 Tansy problem. But that's my process. It is a hot mess, but it works bewilderingly. Uh, thank you so much, Kitty, for your questions. And now my other question came from, uh, let's see, it came from the Discord. Now, those of you who are patron supporters, 
I want to give a little shout out to the gas. Um, sorry, it's not the Gaslighters. That would be a very different kind of guild altogether. The Lamplighters Guild, which is a really cool reader discord, which is a space sponsored by a group of different Gaslamp, mostly Gaslamp fantasy authors. Uh, there's a couple of, let's say, sympathetic to Gaslamp fantasy authors. If you like us, you'll like them. So we've created this this really fun Discord space where uh, Patreon supporters at, let's say, $3 and above can uh, get access to the Discord. And it means that the differing and overlapping reader groups of these authors get to hang out together in a very sympathetic, supportive space, talking about you know, books and food and music and all those things people like to casually chat about. Uh, but you also get a little bit of an insight into, uh, yeah, the wonderful writing world of people like Charlotte English, uh, Indesar Kanani, um, AJ Lancaster, Jacqueline Benson, Olivia and Nicholas Atwater, Rosalie Oakes, Susanna Roundtree, Stephanie Burgess, and me, so a lot of my my lovely uh, supporters are in there already. I love that it's color-coded, so mine are dark green. Uh, and, of course, there are plenty of people in there who support multiple authors, which is lovely. Uh, yeah, so I just want to give a little shout-out. It's a great space, and I went into that space and said, I need questions, and one person gave me another question, uh, thereby... Everybody else holding back obviously does help me get this episode done so I can go and ice cookies. So, um, actually, no, there were two questions. One is a practical question, which I will answer. Uh, <laughs> Saz asked uh, if the with the Sparks and Filters book, because I recently announced my pre-orders up for next year, which includes the new Sparks and Filters book, the new... Teacup Magic Book and Time of the Cat for people who didn't support the uh, the Kickstarter. Those will all be available next year. So Saz asked whether the Sparks and Filters books are automatically sent to Patreon. They're actually not. They're my only, apart from the Kickstarter thing, they're my uh, independent from Patreon books. Not quite sure why I did it that way. But no, so um, people who are Patreon supporters don't worry about pre-ordering this Enchanted Island because that will be going to Patreon first. Uh, but Lang Glorious, which is the Sparks and Filters number three, is not a Patreon book. And so feel free to pre-order that. Uh, yeah, that's... There we go. There's some admin. Now I'm just looking for the other question. Okay. So Kel asked... Uh, well, they said that they'd love to know how I got into podcasting serials, which is, you know, for those of you who haven't been here since I started, and I started doing this a really long time ago. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to give you my origin story. And once again, I'm determined to keep this a short episode. So we're going to keep this under 15 minutes. Obviously, there's already been 15 minutes. So, yeah. So I started with my patron in 2014 and I used it particularly to 
support and promote the writing of Musketeer Space, which was my epic, epic longest novel I've ever written. Uh, the first time I ever wrote a serial, and it was posting a chapter a week of my space opera gender-swapped retelling of The Three Musketeers. I love that book so much. It is ridiculous, but I spent so much time, like nearly two years, immersed in this world and these characters. And I love my versions of the Musketeers so much still. <sighs> um, yeah, I'm thinking of trying to do a, a re-release of them with new covers as two volumes instead of one because it's such a big book. I can't really do it as paperback. And maybe with more spacey covers to try and get more readers. I don't know. I love those books. Anyway, so I started those as a Patreon serial and project. And at the end of the whole thing, which was probably about 18 months to two years, I released the book version of Musketeer Space, which was all edited and well built, tidied up and all that sort of thing. And my Patreon supporters got the book. And then I was not quite at a loose end, but I was trying to figure out what to do next with my Patreon. I didn't want to do that again because that was like a once in a lifetime project. And you can't really follow up something that works with something that's exactly the same. That's that's probably what a sensible business person would do. Uh, that's not me. So, yeah. So I started thinking about what I wanted to use my Patreon. I mean, the nice thing about Patreon and about where I was in my creative life at the time was I'd had a big publishing deal and traditional published books and then that kind of fell apart and I had to fire my agent and my next books weren't ready, weren't coming together. I had a new agent who wanted actually the novel, which has since turned into the Sparks and Filters series. So I had stuff I was working on, but I was really struggling for focus and I like a deadline. And Musketeer Space had been so successful because I had this group of patron supporters who I felt like I owed the next chapter which as it turned out was just enough pressure to get the book finished I know people who've come into Patreon and as creators and it's kind of wrecked them it really messes with the head having people waiting for your thing and putting a price on your work not just your finished work but your process of work but it's always really worked for me. Um, it's just the right amount of pressure to not personally destroy me, which is the sweet spot. So I was thinking about what kind of writing I wanted to do. I was wanted to keep using Patreon as my encouragement to get anything written at all. Uh, and my audience. And... At the time, there were a couple of stories I was writing or working on that I was really excited about, and I felt like I'd really found a tone for myself as a writer. Now, one was the the first Belladonna U story, novelette, which I wrote for, it was a magazine called oh, Australian Fiction Review or something like that, where they would pair one story from an established author, one story with a new author uh, as a like a little fiction journal. And you could write it any length. And I loved that idea of writing, not having to write short fiction that 
conform to most magazine standards, which is, you know, once you get past 5,000 words, they're going to judge you really harshly. Uh, and my sweet spot, as it turns out, is between eight and like 15,000 words. I love novelettes and that sort of length. So I wrote Fake Geek Girl for that. And I was also, I had the idea for the Castle Charming books. I had the idea for, oh, I wrote the the first of the Dragon Circus uh, novellas. Again, I think that was for, for Clandestine, who did a book called And Then, which was, was it And Then? It was a book about duos or twosomes and adventure stories. So yeah, I was writing at this novelette length and there are no, there are so few markets for that. Like I'd found a couple, which was lovely, but there really were not a lot of markets out there to focus on it. And I thought, well, this is what I want to do. And I really liked the pulp, the pulp fantasy uh, tradition where people would write short fiction and novellas and novels with the same characters, but they'd publish them all over the place. And then at the end, you'd have this body of work of a series and I really like that I like writing in series so what I wanted to do was long short stories and novellas with following the same characters uh in in series and writing a lot of different ones that I swap between which is not a business model that would work in any other <laughs> format really uh, that isn't something that I could do anywhere else unless I had a very understanding publisher and probably a cult audience of about, you know, 500 to 5,000 people who adored me. If I was Neil Gaiman, obviously he's got bigger numbers than that. But if I was like a low-rent Neil Gaiman, I could do that. But I'm, I'm more of the I have 200 people who will buy anything I write sort of level, which is actually, again, really good for Patreon. Uh, so I, yeah, so I set it up. I decided to start podcasting. Now, podcasting was something that I already had a lot of experience at. Uh, I did the Galactic Suburbia podcast, which was probably one of my, yeah, one of my most popular contributions to the science fiction fantasy community with Elisa and Alex. Uh, I also was in the Verity podcast talking about Doctor Who so podcasting was something I understood. I never really seriously thought about doing a fiction podcast, mainly because I am not somebody, or I wasn't somebody. I have changed as a human, but at the time I was not somebody who enjoyed listening to stories being read aloud. It wasn't my thing at all. And I think I read, it was like a history of, of Strange Horizons, and they were talking about what a game changer it was when they're podcast came in because it brought their stories to so many more people and I looked around and realized every science fiction magazine at this point was or at least an awful lot of them uh, uncanny comes to mind with the great work that Erica and Stephen do I don't know if that was happening then but anyway like this idea of fiction podcasts was really taking off and I thought, well, it's something I could do, even if it's not something I as an audience would personally look for. So I decided, similar to the Musketeer project, I wanted to make the work available free rather than having it completely behind a paywall. 
So I thought, well, I'll do a podcast version of the serials and that way I can do new stories. I can also use it to create a new audience for stories I love that I've written for fairly small closed markets. So things like the fake geek girl story and the dragon circus and, you know, I could, they, they'd been published. It didn't matter if they only had a fairly small readership where they'd been published because I could have, give them a second go around, uh, which is what, you know, the amazing podcasts like Podcastle and all that sort of thing do. Uh, Escape pod. I don't listen to those because I don't listen to fiction podcasts, but you know, a lot of people do. So I decided to, yeah, do serials. I would uh, balance out, take turns between a reprint and a new story uh, because it's a lot of pressure writing a new story. I do not ever have the complete work finished when I start broadcasting. Uh, I don't think I've ever done that with a new story. I always, I'll have some done, usually a couple of months worth. And I'll be working on it as I go. But I really like that process too. Something that really hit home. Because I started doing that in 2016. And it's now 2023. So it's been seven years. Let's say that's the maths. It's been seven years of writing this way. And I didn't really... I hadn't thought about it again for quite a while. Until I was doing... Knives and Night Blooms because I was I was doing that serial at the same time that I was trying to finish Time of the Cat. And with Time of the Cat there was this huge pressure on me to try and get the text as perfect as possible to publish. Not that you don't always want it to be perfect, but particularly because I was sending it to an audiobook reader and the idea of sending it full of errors was horrifying to me. Uh, my nightmare came true. I found some uh, errors both during the audio recording process and afterwards, uh, which is worse. But, you know, it was a lot of pressure and I realised how much my process of writing new stories for the podcast had become such an enjoyable creative process because the version that I read on the podcast is not the final version that gets finished. It is writing without a net, which is quite confronting but I try not to think about it it is a draft of the story it's usually a fairly polished draft we're usually into second or third draft territory but the version that gets published is always better the text is better it's more refined than the version I put on the podcast Uh, and I really like that I have that level of reading aloud to every time I read a chapter for the podcast I'm making edits. Sometimes, if it's just a one-word edit, I don't even stop the recording. Uh, If ever you hear key, you know, little keys going clicky-clicky while I'm reading, that's what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, no, I need to edit that. Uh, I edit as I speak. And, yeah, it allows me this extra level, which I really enjoy. When I was listening to the Time of the Cat audiobook, read so beautifully by Kieran Sword, uh, one of my thoughts was, If I was rich, could I hire this man to read all my novel drafts to me? Because it makes me, it it made me not only pick out the occasional moments where I'd written a real clangor that needed to be rewritten, um, 
but it yeah there was a level of helping to perfect the process and then I thought well Tansy the free version of that is to do that reading out loud and then I thought oh that's what I already do yeah but I don't do it with all my books which is one of the reasons I'm really thinking of trying to consolidate more of my projects around back to the Patreon next year because when you are writing without a publishing team you know I do have editors and proofers but yeah, there's something about the reading aloud that helps with bringing my story together and helping me hold it in the head. And that's what happened with Of Knives and Night Blooms. I got like seven or eight chapters in, maybe further, maybe it was about halfway. And I realized I don't know what these characters are wearing. And I started thinking about this because I had these ideas but it was like there were elements of the world building I hadn't really put much thought into because I was busy shaping the story. And I decided I actually wanted the clothes of, of Knives and Light Blooms to be really quite significant. And so I put a lot of thought into the cultural clash between Calyx's world and the Divine Kingdom and what the clothes are like, what the clothes are like for the priests. And I started rewriting the book while I was still reading the podcast and I was like oh if I bring all this in the people listening I'd be really interested to know if anybody noticed because I did start changing things and referring to their clothes in the second half of the podcast and <laughs> stuff that just wasn't there in the first half uh, and it took me back to Musketeer Space and how the world building and the character changes that I made between the serial version and the recorded version so, yeah, it's not just about the podcast and reading aloud. It's also very much just about showing people an early version and being prepared to edit it and make it better. And actually, it solved a problem for me. And look there, I've just spun past 30 minutes, but I am definitely finishing up soon. It's fine. But I do want to say that it solved a problem for me because one of my big writing problems this year was that because two books ran longer than expected both time of the cat and of knives and night bloom ended up being far more substantial than i expected which meant every other thing to do with those projects also blew out you know editing takes longer if it's a big novel than if it's a novella novellas are so easy uh but what it meant was books that i planned to have written and finished this year are not so two of next year's book releases both land glorious and um, this Enchanted Island, which is the Teacup Magic book. They're not finished. Uh, the Teacup Magic one is about two-thirds finished, and I haven't written them at all, even started drafting the last few chapters. Uh, Land Glorious is... Uh, there's, there's drafts there. Uh, everything but the last two chapters is thoroughly, thoroughly drafted, but still not done. So there's a lot of work still be, to be done that I was hoping to be done with by now. And I was particularly worried because both of these I'd, you know, the last published version as a bit of a cliffhanger. And I felt really bad that I'd been making people wait. And then I was trying to think of how my publishing schedule is going to look next year and when I can actually, because you can't just lump out a bunch of books at the same time. Obviously, I literally did do that this month. <laughs> 
because I sent out of Knives and Nightblooms within a week of the uh, the Kickstarter ebook version of Time and the Cat. So many of my readers found two new Tansy novels in their inboxes within less than a fortnight. And that's on me. That's a thing that I did. Uh, all bets are off in December. That's just how it worked. I needed those books out there. Uh, but yeah, I didn't. So, so I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And I decided for this Enchanted Island that next year I am not going to release it until August, which is really far away. Not that far away for a book that's not finished, but it's quite far away for a book that I want was actually secretly wanting to have released around now. Uh, so there would have been three Tansy books out. I went, yeah, that's in one month. That's so silly. But, like, you know, it's it's late in my head. And then I thought, ah, but I could do it as a serial and make it available earlier to my Patreon people, and that would be really cool. Apart from anything else, the first part of it is written, so I could start doing that. And I could put it on Sheet Might Fly, which is you guys, is the podcast, except... I already had all these other plans for Sheep Might Fly. And I really hate shifting the plans. And also there's the thing with the teacup magic books. I've started doing professional audiobooks. I'm going to do more professional audiobooks of those. And late next year, doing a podcast version just felt a little bit not quite right, especially as those of you who listen to the podcast would not be caught up with the other teacup magic books because I haven't done them. So I've actually decided that with this Enchanted Island, I'm going to go back to what I did with Musketeer Space. It's going to be a prose serial. Uh, it's not going to be an open to the public prose serial. <laughs> it's just going to be for Patreon subscribers. Uh, but it means I can put up a chapter a week. I can, you know, really, I want this book to be so good. I feel like it can't just be good. It needs to be really, really, really good. It's not the final teacup magic, but it's a... It's a finale uh, book. It's one that's supposed to wrap up these six books that all feel very tied to each other. I'm absolutely going to continue with Teacup Magic. I'm even going to continue with, with Neem. Uh, I don't know how yet, but this is going to feel like a complete six-book series that will later have more stuff added. Uh, so I want it to feel like a big finale. I want it to draw together a lot of threads uh it's it's working really hard I'm doing a three-way romance for the first time which is really hard on somebody who's not does not see themselves as being a very good romance writer anyway uh and it's a lot to fit into a novella and yes this will still be a novella I am determined this is not a novel but I guess we're gonna find out so, yeah, starting in January, there's going to be a prose serial of this Enchanted Island. So people don't have to wait too long to at least find out a bit of what happened next after, um, uh, I've forgotten the title of my Duchess book. It's really early in the morning. Um, have spirit, will Duchess. I was thinking, have Duchess, will travel. No, that's not, that's not the book. <laughs> All right, so I think that's all. See, I've been answering questions that no one even asked. That's what happens when people don't send me questions. I just talk. Uh, according to my teenager, this is what I'm like in the car. It's just a running stream of tansy 
sharing things. Uh, I was planning on doing more Ask Tansy episodes in the future. <clears throat> As it turns out, I only need up to three questions, so that's good to know. Uh, next year on the podcast, I will give you a little bit of insight into that. The first serial I'm going to put on the podcast is one I've been wanting to do for ages, which is Curse of Bronze. This is the first of a series I've never written the rest of, uh, but I've been meaning to for the last three years. I'm going to get to it in 2024. So Curse of Bronze is kind of like the uh, the more modern end of Gaslamp. It's got a kind of 1930s vibe to it. But it's a tale of archaeology and cursed magic and a little bit of fairy tale stuff. It's about a daughter of a curse-breaking family who inherits a mysterious house when her adventurous aunt is killed and she has to solve the mystery but also deal with a house full of, you know, talking furniture and gargoyles so it's it's a way of talking about Egyptology which I just said at the top of this podcast I don't know anything about and archaeology uh, without necessarily being Egyptian as such I don't know it, it's a whole thing it's set in a city uh, which I called Lyceum which is named after Bram Stoker's uh, theatre which I first wrote a piece for for Patreon years ago called um uh yeah I've forgotten how can I my brain I it's so early in the morning uh it was about uh, a vampire and a not vampire dance and Mrs something something anyway uh, yes, yeah, so Lyceum. So I, I've been excited to write more in this series. Uh, I have been planning to write Tomb of Brass, the follow-up, for a really long time. And I just haven't got to it because it's that one novella that I don't have time to write every year. But yeah, I love the archaeology kind of themed magic it has werewolves in it and vampires and so it's a little bit urban fantasy-ish too and yeah so this has been my killer reader magnet for the last three years or so it draws in just the right kind of reader because I think people who like this story it's very tansy-ish and so they're likely to like more of my stuff so I use it for my newsletter as a freebie and I've been looking forward to reading it out loud for a really long time. So that's Mrs. Macabre. Miss Dance and Mrs. Macabre. Mr. Dance and Mrs. Macabre? What did I call it? Anyway, uh, there's a cameo of that in the story too. It's a while since I've read it. So that'll be fun. After that, I'm going to be doing a new podcast serial, which was the one that people really wanted from the Patreon poll a couple of years ago. Uh, and I I was definitely going to write it. And then I ignored it because I was reading too much Witcher and I really needed to write something that was a bit sword and sorcery-ish. And that's how of Knives and Night Plumes happened. Um, and so it leapt to the front of the queue. But the yeah, there's this story I've been wanting to write for ages. It's very Jane Austen and Dragons. It's not 
just Jane Austen and dragons. But that's the elevator pitch. And really, what more do you need to know? There's other stuff about the story I'm excited about, but I'd rather have that be a surprise for you, particularly who the hero is. Um, but I'm going to leave that. I'm excited to write it next year. That's that's the next thing. And then after that, there'll probably be just like a little reprint, something, something, and then I'll be writing the next um, the next River Divine novella in the second half of 2024, which is exciting because I do not know what the plot is at all. No idea. I've been planning the first book for so long and as established planning. <laughs> I've been holding the first book in my head for so long. And I'm excited to find out what happens next because I don't know. But somehow between now and like September-ish, I'm going to have to figure it out. And that is an exciting adventure. So thank you very much for listening to my podcast uh, and continuing to support me either as a listener, a reader, a Patreon subscriber, somebody who shouts about my books in the street, whatever it is. Uh, I really, I really like having this podcast come back to every week. It is something, it is occasionally a chore, but yeah, I don't think I want to let it go anytime soon. It's, it's, it's a nice thing to have. Oh, I have another project for the podcast next year. I had this idea of doing like little history, uh, things in between the big things. Anyway, we'll see what that comes to. It will involve research. That might be too much work, but I'm quite excited. I have a good title for it. I may have already created book covers. Let's see what happens. All right, I have biscuits to ice. So I'm going to say thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly in 2023. This podcast was recorded on Palawar land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Instagram, Blue Sky, or threads at TansyRR. You know, I went into my X slash Twitter account for the first time in two months, and people have started following me. Like, more people are following me. I'm not there. I've left the account because I can't quite bring myself to delete it because there's a lot of tansy words in there. But I'm not there. Like, bless you all for... But who's on X following you people? I do not understand it. It's it's over. Just walk away. Walk away. Uh, Blue Sky's getting really fun now. Uh, if anybody... <laughs> Anybody needs an invite, let me know. I have a lot of the codes. Just hit me up with a message and I'll get one to you. Uh, Instagram, Blue Sky or Threads, Tansy RR. Uh, and if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. Even that little $1 pledge, which we're not supposed to encourage people to do because it gets mostly eaten up by fees. They get a lot of great stuff on my pod, uh, on my Patreon. Uh, of Knives and Night Blooms, the edited, world-built, everyone-knows-what-they're-wearing ebook version. Uh, that went to everybody. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so there's, there's cool stuff to download, even at the tiniest, tiniest pledge level. 
the best is probably at two or three dollars because two dollars gets you cool bonus stories every year um the three dollar level gets you the discord access five dollar one is when it starts getting a little bit you know that's when parcels arrive at your door and that sort of thing that's a bit extravagant but you do you and the fifteen dollar level which is it still blows my mind that people support because that's so much money uh, they actually get early paperbacks of the books that I release sent to them through the year before anybody else gets them. So that's exciting. And now I'm going to stop and go away because I have to go to the supermarket before it gets crazy out there. It's the day before Christmas Eve. It's already crazy out there. I'm going to see you next year for more, uh, more, books and stories and reading and complete nonsense here on the podcast. Uh, have a happy new year.